everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is This Podcast Sounds Exhausting. I'm Sarah Austin. And I'm Sweet Brown. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life. Get out of here, Sweet Brown. Sorry about that. Hey, it's Vanessa Tyler. <laughs> Sorry, Sweet Brown lives with me. <laughs> you she really love up, her. She got up to get herself a cold pop. Here, I'll let her tell you the story. Sweet no, Brown, come here. Tell no, her story. no. Hello. I got up to get me a cold pop. I smell smoke. Smell like someone was barbecuing. This is like the oldest meme, and you still just love it so much. Oh Lord Jesus, it's a fire! (laughs) I didn't grab no shoes or nothing. Jesus, I ran for my life. Surprisingly, this episode has nothing to do with fire. The smoke got me. Where this came from? Right in my lungs. (laughs) I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. Mm -hmm. All right, sweet, get out of here. Thank you for your story. Thank you. Lovely. That was great. <laughs> Isn't she lovely? She really is a good roommate. She'll get up and get you a cold pop anytime. She won't even grab her. Oh my God, I'm done with the skit. <laughs> Wait till I start doing voices and how annoyed you're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll deal with it. What are we doing? What are you doing? Um, oh, you're doing your own Forensic Files episode. Yeah, I'm going to open it up. I'm, gonna want, like, I'm sure there's lots of you that have been huge Forensic Files nerds from the beginning like me. I think that's kind of where everything started for me as far as like true crime and stuff. Vanessa, did you watch Forensic Files growing up? Well, I watched it, but now as adults, we don't we don't watch it like we used to. We watch it to fall asleep because for, for some reason his voice is soothing to <laughs> it us. It is a little ASMR. Yeah. 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 I go agree. right to sleep. Yeah, it's like um it's good background noise, I suppose. Especially since I've seen like all 300 and whatever episodes um (laughs) get a life i know (laughs) you're that meme where it's me in bed eating chips and then the forensic file voice comes on and he's like he left a bloody fingerprint on the doorknob and you're like what a fucking idiot (laughs) 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 eating your snacks at 3 a.m so i'm gonna tell you um a story that i first heard on forensic files it's from the the actual episode is from 2006 and it's called concrete alibi uh can we rename it (laughs) maybe at the end we'll see if we can sidewalk alibi it's a pretty good i mean they always have like really punny uh titles to the episode so it's very much uh on brand for forensic files in this episode of this podcast sounds exhausting quick dry cement alibi yeah yeah (laughs) um i remember when i first watched this episode years and years ago um uh, i don't know something just like stuck with me on it and i'll think about it every once in a while when i see stuff in the news um, that kind of follows along the same lines and I'll think about it and go back to it. I've watched it probably two or three times and then I watched it again today twice. Jesus. Yeah. So, cause the episodes are only like 20, 22 minutes long. So, uh, you know, it's not that hard to get through them. It's not like watching a full documentary or anything. Well, uh, my, my story, I did zero research. I just read the one paragraph Wikipedia and then I just made up the rest. So it's interesting. 
Stop. So I hope you'll enjoy it. It's fan fiction. It's true crime oh fan fiction. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm going to start the show with uh, with my little Forensic Files uh, inspired story. Well, not a story, but um, an incident that happened. And then Vanessa will close it with um, a big, exciting family annihilator. Please do it in the Forensic Files, guys, boys. I can't do it. I, I wish I could. Best attempt. No. Oh, you almost did it. <laughs> I almost did it. You almost did it. No, you had almost, a thought. You almost got me. You had a thought. Got you right in your lungs. Uh, so this is the murder of Karen Heard Hearn Slover. Mm. Um, on September 27th in 1996 in Decatur, Illinois. Hope I'm saying that right. Decatur? What? Like Illinois? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I hope I'm saying that right. Decatur? Decatur. D-E-C-A-T-U-R. Decatur. What do you get? Decatur. Where is there a D? Decatur. Decatur. I don't know. Someone tell me. It's like to not, to uncater something. You decater it. Like you're a caterer and it's time to clean up. You would say, hey guys, decater this. No, because it's D-E-C-A-T-U-R. Oh, decatur. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, a motorist is driving down the highway, kind of a deserted highway. Anyways, this bitch dies. Stop. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call her the V word. I'm sorry. No, Anyways, she dies. So he sees this car on the side of the highway. It's kind of a deserted highway. And so he pulls over to see if the motorist is okay. When he gets out of his car, he sees that the, the lights are on, the engine's running. There's a purse in the car. The, the driver's door is open, but there's nobody around. And this is, again, a deserted area. Um, He kind of looks in the car. You can see it looks like a little bit disheveled. You know, the purse is kind of just thrown to the side. I would have drove right by. Not today, Jesus. Well, he he, uh, somehow, you know, gets the police. I don't, were there cell phones in 96? Smoke signals is how he did it. I don't know. The police get there. They check My wagon. This is an old murder purse <laughs> on their horses. And, um, oh, there's a car. Wait, hold on. Never mind. The are still they're underfunded. Still pour, pulled by uh, horses back then. Yeah, that's right. Um, they check the purse. There's no ID inside the purse. Um, so they run the plates, and it's registered to a man named um, David Swan. Um, he's a 34-year-old uh, resident of Decatur, Illinois. Works for the newspaper. Um, they ask him, "Hey, where you at? Cars on the side of the road." Guilty. Uh, he says, "My girlfriend, Karen Slover, was using my car um, to pick up her three-year-old son from his grandparents' house." Um, Knock him up. But the car was found 40 miles away, in the opposite direction of the grandparents' house. She had never made it there. Um, hear my page flipping. Um, so now at this point, she's considered a missing person, but they don't know, if, is this a kidnapping? Is this a hijacking? Um, they start to ask family and friends like, hey, could she have run away? Like, could she have just up and left? Fuck it pulls over um, gets out yeah like is she over it does she did she just want to leave and her friends are like no today she found out she just got her first modeling job with um 
a company called Paris International, and they had offered her some modeling uh, work that was going to take place out of state. She was an aspiring model. Um, She's hot. She's beautiful. Mm. Um, Like, just, I don't know. They show all these pictures of her, and she just looked like such a, like, sweet, fun. She was only 23. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a 23-year-old mom, divorced. Um, she's got this son. Um, I'll, I'll get into her a little bit later. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know you were interested in her. <laughs> I can't be <laughs> now. <laughs> a little late. Um, but anyways, no, her friends are like, listen, no, she she would not have just up and left. She just, she was so excited today. She's got this modeling gig that she's been dying for. And, and you know, super if- excited. What if the police ask me that of you? Would she just up and run run away? away? Depends. Mm. (laughs) How did her day go? (laughs) It's a possibility. How did her day, what started, how did she start her day? (laughs) Right. Uh, So two days pass, there's no sign of her, can't find her. And 40 miles away in Lake Shelbyville, there's some boaters going fishing and they see a floating uh, trash bag and they pull it out of the water into their boat and they open it up and it is the severed head of a woman. Jesus Christ. (laughs) More bags start popping up. That's like Dexter. They call the police and within uh, these bags, I I believe there were about four or five bags. Body parts? Yes. Let me finish it. Can you imagine the police crimes together? You're asking serious (laughs) questions. Like you're just asking him questions. Hey, what's up with your car? And he's answering you. And I'm like, he's guilty. Arrest him now. (laughs) Don't listen to her. She shouldn't be working here. Right. No, Uh, I'm a psychic detective and he is guilty. No. (laughs) She was shot. (laughs) So all these bags start popping up in the water. They open them up and shut up. Trying to solve a murder. Uh, they contain the rest of her body. Uh, and they do uh, dental records and, and it, it um, unfortunately confirms that it is the uh, dead body of Karen Slover. Um, the bags were sealed with duct tape and inside the bags along with her body parts were chunks of uh, concrete and cinder. Mm, how they float up? Well... Um, Oh, first, hold on. The concrete and cinder that was found in the um, bags, little pieces of it were also found um, in the driver's side floor by the pedals and stuff. Mm. You know, like where your feet go. Um, There were little pieces of it there. Those were also found inside those bags. And the killer used the blocks to sink the body. But within two days, like all the gases and stuff that escaped the body, it was closed so tight. The bags were closed so tightly with the duct tape um, that all those gases escaping caused the bags to rise up and float, Mm -hmm. even though there was, they didn't weigh them down enough. Um, Mm. Analysis collect. Uh, six dog hairs from the tape that was uh, used to close the bags, um, but no no prints on anything. Uh, you know, the lake kind of just washed away all, any trace evidence. Um, the autopsy shows that, uh, I'm sorry, Karen has been 
shot in the back of the head six times. Jesus Christ, we got a serial killer. Uh, six times with a twenty-two caliber point blank range, which um, shows like severe rage and anger. Basically, somebody put the gun. You know. All right, I've solved it. Thank you. You can stop. White male, mid thirties, hates his mom, takes it out on women that are pretty. Done. We'll see, Dexter. Arrest the boyfriend. Uh, so it, it shows it shows a lot of rage and anger someone basically just you know emptied the gun into her um the last time she had been seen was when she was leaving work evidence of rape uh no hmm. no evidence of rape or uh sexual assault um where's the kid he's at his grandparents house she never showed up oh shit yeah yeah. So last time she was seen, she was leaving her job at five o'clock. She was um, uh, advertising sales representative. But like I said, she was also an, an aspiring model. That's what she really wanted to do. Um, and then the car was found about 10 p.m. So 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's a, you know, a pretty big amount of time that they're trying to figure out when this could have happened and and what exactly happened is it some sort of like sexual pervert is it a serial killer they really have no idea what's the boyfriend's alibi is it well we'll start with the ex-husband get it um the ex-husband his name is michael slover um he's the father of you know their child um several people had stated that he had battered her in the past and that they had had a very volatile and uh abusive relationship she also had a lot of issues with his family her ex-in-laws and they were who was watching her son at the time like she was headed to the ex-in-law's house they were already divorced yeah wasn't him next to pick them up um but michael slover has an alibi uh he's a security guard and on that night that she was murdered he had actually made an arrest and had to call the police so the police had seen him um interacted with him at the time that they think she was murdered solid alibi told you i'm psychic so now they start looking at her current boyfriend david Uh swan Mm. um and you'll remember it was his car um that she had been driving Mm. Um, David Swan has had some run-ins with the law. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't go too much into it, but one of his charges was impersonating law enforcement. He had spent some time um, in a mental health facility. Um, and Why then- do women go from one douche to a bigger douche? They do a background check, and this is a little strange because like, you don't get the full story. Mm. Apparently, he had killed a deer, okay, which mm. is perfectly fine. He was a hunter. Killed a deer. And then they say that he put it on a swimming pool. I'm guessing an above ground swimming pool with a cover on it mm. is what I gather. And then used a chainsaw to hack it up like in the middle of like the neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> like, it was just really like bizarre. I don't know why you shushed me. I said 10 minutes ago, arrest him. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> um, so, and because they don't know how Karen, they don't know exactly how Karen was dismembered this whole chainsaw hacking up in front of people they start to connect kind of connect some dots right mm-hmm. um he What's has his alibi he has kind of a shaky alibi mm. so he's at a friend's wedding rehearsal 
Um, and then after the wedding rehearsal is the rehearsal dinner, but friends say he was 45 minutes late for the rehearsal dinner that followed. But could he really do this whole crime in 45 minutes? Like that's his window of time is 45 minutes. What do you mean? What time was he expected? The only time he's not accounted for is about 45 minutes. Where was he before and after? At the wedding rehearsal and the wedding rehearsal dinner. Oh, so you're saying he went to the wedding rehearsal and was late. And disappeared for 45 minutes and then came back for the rehearsal dinner. So in that window of time, late. So in that window of time, you know, could he, yes, you know, do this. So they start looking at motive. And Karen was talking about wanting to move to Georgia to pursue her modeling career. Like I said, she had been offered some like out of state modeling work. And so they start to think that he could be like angry and unstable at the thought of her leaving, to, leaving the state, leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in an modeling. F- yeah. They bring in an FBI profiler and he says that David Swan seems like a fit, like based on his, um past and his criminal record and and kind of how he was speaking and talking to police he he could be a fit is what this fbi fbi profiler is saying um but they have no evidence whatsoever so they can't they can't even put in any type of search warrant they have literally no evidence um so they do repeated interrogations on this guy he denies time and time again um, and these detectives are starting to think that this could be like a quote unquote perfect crime. Does People, he uh, unless they get him to, to crack? Huh? Right. Does he? Oh, there was no mention of a of a lie detector test, so I don't know if maybe this is a state that doesn't do that, or if this is just a case where it wasn't. I I don't know. No mention of a lie detector test. Did they consult uh, a psychic? They did not. Mm. Nope. Six months go by. And they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to bring this guy in and interrogate him one more time. we got to give it one more shot, right? So for over four hours, they interrogate him. And this guy finally remembers Go ahead. he went to the bank during that 45 minutes. And they're like, you went to the fucking bank? How come you didn't tell us this before? They go to the bank. They pull up the records. And there's this dude in the fucking bank. <laughs> Completely cleared alibi. What an asshole. He's put himself through all this shit for over six months. All these t- countless interrogations, all this stuff. And he had an alibi the whole time. He's on video. There's no way he could have done it. Hmm. Hmm. There's no other suspects. And so as a last resort... All right. The guy who called it in. <laughs> you can't just... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Get him. As a last resort, uh, they look one more time at the crime scene. They they know that there had to be another car at the crime scene. Um, because it's such a deserted stretch of highway. Right. It's not like you would just pull your car over and then like walk down to the gas station or you know what I mean? Like there right. had to have been another car. Someone had to have picked her up, whatever. Like the car who found it. So uh, they start digging around, and Michael, the ex-husband, he has a solid alibi. But you know who doesn't? His parents. I was going to say Big Bird. Oh. His parents don't. So what? So Michael Slover Sr. Wait, I... wasn't the kid with the parents? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> 
So Michael Slover Sr., as soon as he clocks out of work at 4 p.m., no alibi. Jeanette Slover, she stays at home and watches her grandson, no alibi. Nobody's Wait, seen them. We're talking about mom and anybody. dad. We're talking about Karen's ex-in-laws. Right. Kids' so grandparents. ex-husband's parents. Right. The kids' grandparents where he was at. Yes. Waiting to be picked up. Yes. Oh, did they... Did they call in that she never came? Did they call anybody and get worried? I'm not sure. Lock them up. Don't think so. Lock them up. Um, they start digging into uh, Michael Slover Sr. and Jeanette Slover, and they, <laughs> they talk to some people. Was there piss? She's going to take the kid. Jeanette is obsessed with her grandson. Ah. So much so that she told friends that after he was born, she actually started breastfeeding him. <laughs> yeah. Can you fucking imagine? <laughs> Makes you appreciate your, yes. your own mother-in-laws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she's Christ. obsessed with her grandson, and she hated Karen. Yeah. Um, phone <laughs> records of that weekend okay. that Karen was murdered show that Michael Slover Jr. called his parents' house 12 times. Uh, they also own a used car lot about a mile from their home with two dogs that guard it um the the car lot is neighbors said it's like a junk heap it's never cleaned up it's a total you know it's a junkyard full of concrete yeah it's always dirty and in disrepair but after karen disappeared neighbors say all of a sudden the slovers do a total makeover on the lot they clean Mm -hmm. it up they cut some brush they burn old items they really you know spruce up the place (laughs) So they hire a forensic geologist named Richard Monroe to go in, grab some concrete and cinders from the Slover's car lot, and test it against the concrete and cinders that are found in the bags where Karen's body was. He uses a scanning electron microscope, and I have really no idea what that does, Um, but it magnifies it by 5,000%. And um, mm. <laughs> big deal. And it, <laughs> he he's able to look at the pieces, right? Five thousand percent bigger than their their true size, and he sees that they look similar. And so then, what he does is he um, grinds them up into a fine powder. Forensic Files says that he blasted it with X-rays. <laughs> your your husband is peering at you. He's leering at you creepily. Oh, he no. He's playing PUBG. Nobody put it down and was leering at you. Look, oh. he's doing it again. Look, hi. hi. <laughs> he was, I just felt worried for you. I was like, what's he doing? Taking notes over there? Always the husband. Don't, don't use concrete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they say he, you know, he blasts the powder with x-rays and he's able to identify the chemical makeup of the samples and he concludes that the materials are similar enough to raise suspicion because there is such a high level of consistency between the the concrete and materials that are found at the car lot and the concrete and materials that are found to sink the bags. Right. Um, but they need the bags more. and the huh? duct tape. The duct tape, all they could find from the duct tape in the bags was six dog hairs. Ah, um, matching the two guard dogs. They need more, and it's been more than two years since the murder at this point. So they turn to the army for help. What? Um, 
Mm-hmm. Because they're really focusing in on the on the ex in laws, um, they're saying that the motive is that Jeanette Slover wanted sole custody of her grandson. Um, and with Karen's new modeling opportunities, she could up and leave and Jeanette wouldn't get to see him whenever she wanted. And she really looked at Karen as a threat. Um, and there's no evidence in their house. They did get a search warrant for the house. There's no evidence in there. Um, but because of the Carlot similarities, they call in the army, the army comes in and helps these investigators move all of the topsoil from their 5,000 square foot car lot. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Well, it's about 30 seconds back. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about moms breastfeeding their own kids, but like to an inappropriate age? When's I, the cutoff? I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. What about for the kid? I, I just. You don't care about the kid? No. I don't think it's a harmful thing. I mean, I think that's... Surely you would cut it off at an age. I would, personally. Okay, well, when would you cut it off before you would say that 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 person should be... Probably, I, I would say by well it depends because i have seen some of those articles where the mom's breastfeeding like their seven-year-old kid but they also just had a baby so it's like the baby's eating the other kid see you know like it's the, she didn't just keep breastfeeding for seven years you know what i mean so i mean i that I just didn't make don't. me feel any better about it that i just- i just think it's we hearken back to the fact that uh, breasts are looked at as just sexual objects and they're not. I'm not talking about her doing it in public. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, but she's literally, at the end of the day, she's just feeding her kid. She's not getting sexual gratification from breastfeeding her six-year-old. Okay. I I think it's strange. I wouldn't personally want to do that. In fact, if I wanted to, I get the nutritional benefit. I would pump or hand express into a a cup or, you know, and and let them drink it that way. I like your idea. I would think that that would be more comfortable for both mother and child. Right. Um, because kids have teeth and all, you know, like all of that. So I, I would think that that would be more comfortable, but I mean, who am I to say? I, I don't think that it, you know, equates anything. So we've uh, resolved it. Perverse. Strange? Pump. Sure. But Pump I don't think it's cups. perverse. Yeah. That's, Weirdos. That's what I would do. Thank you. We've solved so many problems already. Let's solve this murder. <laughs> Back to this murder. <laughs> um, so the Army and the investigators, they fill 65-gallon buckets with this topsoil. And for six months, they have to sift through all of this debris it's like a painstaking process little by little they have to put it in these pans and sift through and see what they can find and they after six months they finally find this button and when they clean it up and look at it closer the button says authentic paris sports club and they're able to match that button to the jeans that karen was wearing that night that were found on her body with a missing button this is insane they're also all able- because she was beautiful. Was she white? Yeah, they all yeah. were. Ridiculous. Um, Amazing, but they should do that for everybody. Okay. Okay. I mean, how long did it take? Six months to sift through all of this. Yeah, Nobody's our fucking been army, charged. our military, 
So you would rather these three fucking psychopaths have not been gotten for it and That's raised not what I said. child. That's not what I said. I'm just what saying. What else do you want them to do? I'm just saying most, you know, most unsolved crimes aren't so vigorously sought after for. Anyways, they find some rivets that also match Karen's jeans and they find a cloth covered plastic button that goes to like shirts and blouses and they're able to connect that because it has the same like identical weave pattern and all this blah, 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 matches one of her sleeves. Then they get to the dogs. Um, And this is actually one of the first cases that ever used animal DNA um, in their forensic testing. Back then, there was only about three or four labs in the entire country that did animal DNA testing. Now, you can literally order a kit online, swab your dog's cheek for like 80 bucks and send it in. Um, What are you going to learn? And almost like all vet clinics. You learn like what kind of dog it is and oh yeah you can like figure out what your dog is for mutts and stuff like that um there's a dna match between the hair or the six pieces of hair that were found on the duct tape and uh the slover dogs so uh jeanette and michael slover senior and michael slover jr are charged with first degree murder damn um they say that michael slover jr aided his parents in the planning and commission of the murder and so this is how prosecutors say it happened based on forensic evidence karen shows up to the car lot to pick up her son as scheduled um when she turns her back to walk into the garage jeanette uh pulls out a gun and shoots her in the back of the head six times Jesus. They then dismember her body and load it into trash bags and fill those bags with uh, um, concrete and cinders. Um, During all of this, the dismemberment and and putting her into the bags, some of those buttons and rivets get scattered into the dirt and the debris, and some of the dog hair sticks to the duct tape that they use to seal the bags. They then drive to Lake Shelbyville and dump Karen's body into the lake, presuming that it would sink and and stay there and then they abandon her car along a deserted highway uh leaving behind debris on the driver's side floor they just brought the kid along or what they never they don't really say it's highly suspected that the child drove with them how old is this kid? When they, three. Ugh. um forensic as evidence links it all together um, they say that Michael Jr. was working at the time of the murder, so that alibi was true, but he knew about the murder, he helped plan it, and he helped keep clean up the crime scene, making him actively involved in the murder and the cover-up. Right. Um, on May 18th of 2002, all three of the Slovers are, con- are convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 60 years in prison. Um, Karen Hearn Slover was a 23-year-old mother of three, doing her best. Wait, she had three kids? No, a mother of three-year-old, sorry. That's, she was a 23-year-old, she was the mother of a three-year-old little boy who she loved dearly, and she did everything for, um, she had this aspiring modeling career. Everybody, of course, has amazing things to say about her, and the fact that this the complete evilness of this family could take her away from her son away from her family and then 
it's all for nothing because they all went to prison. I know. They don't get to see their grandson anyways. Where did the kid go? Mom's mom? So that was a little bit interesting. I did some digging on that. And it, because they don't say in Forensic Files what happened. So right mm-hmm. after all of this goes down. and they oh, This arrested. podcast sounds exhausting exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you, it wasn't that hard to find. I just, oh, okay, go you know, Sarah Googled read some. some articles and stuff, figured it out. Um, so he ended up being adopted by Karen's ex-sister-in-law. So the, the daughter of the people that killed her, that's where her son went Ugh. for a year until prosecutors were able to take her to court and under saying that they had suspicions that she also knew about the murder, that it was going to happen and that she could have prevented it and chose not to. She ended up losing custody in 2003 and Karen's parents got custody of him oh thank god and raised him and he's now in his 20s and i hope he's doing really well i have no idea and uh that was concrete alibi the murder of karen hearn slover dun 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 i got you see that's why it's a good one because you're in the beginning you're like oh man excuse me weird boyfriend i'll go back to my quote she was shot she was shot Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm psychic. I will help solve your crimes. Just let me know. Whoever called it in. It only took answer. like four different answers <laughs> for you to get there. There's a is, is you put a, four me? different people to death first. See before you got the rest of them all until mm-hmm. I figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, you want to do mine? Yep. Sarah's like, what? What are you doing? Yours on? And then I say something random. And then she talks to me about it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And then she's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing the list murders. And she's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know it was a big one. Well, and it kind of fit in with mine because I, I don't think that they're, they're not considered family annihilators, but it's still like mm. a family murder plot. Mm. And instead of a twist ending, it has a very ironic one. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Like, have you ever seen The Mist, the movie, mm-hmm. how it ends? Yeah. Like like that, a big old yeah, punch yeah. in the gut. Yeah. So a big old fuck you. Yep. <clears throat> I shall begin. John List, let's go. I didn't even say his first name. You gave it away already. Here we go. Oh. We're already let's at it. Go. Sarah's giving it away. <laughs> you already know it's a familicide. Oh God. Yeah. Sorry. All right, guys. Um, let me start it the way I want to start it. Okay. It doesn't really make any sense, but here we go. All right. Westfield, New Jersey. Born and raised. No. <laughs> that's just, that's where we're at. <laughs> oh, okay. August 20th, 1972. Police and fire respond to a house fire. And it's this big fucking mansion house. Like a plantation, probably. Or it used to be. God, I hope it's not. Plantation it's style house. Sure. Just a huge house. All right. Uh, and the house was a famous house there because it is where a family was massacred. And at the time, so we're August 20th, 1972, that was a year before. Um, the fire was a, an arson. It's unsolved to this day. Well, I don't think anyone occupied it at the time. Yeah, it was empty. Right. So I just randomly started there. Thank you. Okay. Uh, it's a 19-room mansion. 19 fucking rooms. Damn. It's like the, you know, the board game Clue? Mm-hmm. 
It has all of those rooms. Yeah. Library, yeah. ballroom, yep. kitchen, observatory, yep. et cetera. Uh, the household at the time, the murders now we're talking about, was led by John List, an accountant. Uh, there lived his Lutheran family. Lutheran is just like a strict, slightly fucked up version of Christianity. Okay. So it's John List, his wife, three children, and John's elderly mother. Okay. Uh, they lived in the home for six years. Um, and in November, so a year before this fire. Oh, God, I remember the ending. All right, everybody calm down. Oh, my God, you're right. There's, There's a great twist of irony. Okay. Yeah, I was about to ruin it already. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to ruin oh, it. Go ahead. I'm not. All right. <laughs> she means she's not listening to me, by the way. She's just thinking in her damn head. All right, a year before the fire, November 1971, letters arrive at the children's school explaining that the children, the oldest, 16-year-old Patricia, the middle, 15-year-old John, and the youngest, 13-year-old Frederick, would be going out of town for a few weeks to care for a sick relative. Red flag. What? Not in the 70s? From an astute rich white call. people? Huh? You could make a phone call. He sent sure, you could, but he would an John would answer and say, yeah, because he wrote the letters. No, I'm saying he couldn't have called the school. I don't. All right. 1970s. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, and rich parents are allowed to take their kids out of school whenever the fuck they want. Right. All right. Are you okay now? Yep. All right. Um, so these letters go out. Nobody makes a fuss about it because... Sarah doesn't work there. Mm -hmm. And for weeks, the uh, the home appeared, you know, vacant, except that all the lights on in the inside were on, all of them. Mm -hmm. um, and but presumably the entire time the family was away helping the sick family member. But finally, after a month, the lights start going out one by one in the house. Mm, they're burning out. Right. Um, suspicious, the police decide to check on the home. Now, the police had to justify this. So their justification was they didn't know if the live-in elderly mother went with the family to aid oh, the ailing sick okay. person. Okay. They didn't get anyone to respond, so they decided to break in to check on the elderly mother's well-being. Right. The police detectives who were doing this were just the police officers. They're not detectives yet. Uh, they said when they got in the home, it was dark because the lights had all burned out. Mm-hmm. There was classical music playing throughout the house, so it's literally like a horror movie. Mm. <clears throat> They're in the kitchen with their little flashlights, mm -hmm. and they notice blood on the floor. Yeah. Yes. So just like the game of Clue, they follow yeah. the blood trail yeah. to the damn ballroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, okay. What do they find? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm getting into it. Everybody calm down. Okay. This is how I am watching Forensic Files. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What? Like you wrote oh, the no, story? So started, like yes, we're getting somewhere. So there's a bunch happened. of dead family members. Coming. Oh, it's shit. really horrible. Okay. It is horrible. <laughs> the lights have burned out one by one. There's fucking classical music playing throughout the house. You guys. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't ghosts or aliens. Calm your shit. That means it's been playing the whole time for a fucking month. That's right. Undo the calamity that's in your memories, would you? I will right. not. I will not. <laughs> they go into the ballroom and they dis discover several bodies in sleeping bags. Four of them. Remember, it's three kids, mom, husband, elderly mom. Mm -hmm. They discover four bodies in sleeping bags with their faces covered. So faces covered, we know, is when remorse. Yes. 
right? Some sort of remorse, yeah. or you knew the victim. Yeah, you you cared for him. Yeah, even you don't want to see their face after. <clears throat> yeah. Correct. They were laid out in a neat row, and uh, they were identified as the wife Helen and her three children. Mm-hmm. All were shot in the head, though they noted that the middle child, John, fifteen, he had multiple bullet wounds in his head. Yeah. So they didn't know what was up with that. They don't know what's up with at all. They're just like, what the fuck is this? Right, right. Um, unaccounted for at this time is John, who's 46, and his elderly mother, who's 85, 86. Okay. So they searched the home. 45 fucking minutes later, because this is a 19 yeah. mansion. Right. <clears throat> they go to the third story apartment space, mm-hmm. and they find John's elderly mother, Alma, 86, dead with a gunshot wound to the head. Back of the head fell forward on her knees like she was mm. away, walking away from the perpetrator. Yeah. No John. That's the husband, the accountant yep. husband. In John's office, they found a five-page letter written by John to his pastor five, weeks, five weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, and I forgot. When they're in the home and the classical music's playing, mm-hmm. ice cold in the house. Oh, yeah. He turned the air conditioning all, all the way down. I just wanted you to know it was ice cold. Oh. Not who did it. Somebody did. Right. I'm using my bias and assuming it was a man. No, you're using your knowledge of this and remembering as I tell it and getting excited about your memories. <laughs> I'm so excited for the end. All right. Uh, it's not good, but the, yeah, it's just. It's a yeah. son of a bitch, isn't it? Yep. 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 All right. <laughs> it's a good one so he wrote a five-page letter to his pastor and and it's dated five weeks um at, when the cops find it five weeks ago in the past right so they're like damn how long has this been going on like right. these people in this house dead yeah. um in the letter he takes responsibility for the murders he said he killed them due to their financial issues stating that he didn't want to commit the sin of living on welfare and at least his family was in heaven so he believed living in poverty was a sin. Did he mention that he was just too much of a pussy to go out with them or what was that justification? <clears throat> I'll get into what, okay. why he's alive. Okay. <laughs> I just want to add, if you're going to kill yeah. your whole fucking family because of financial issues, fuck you. You better die yeah. too. Yeah. Why do they, they have to die so that they don't have to be on welfare? Fuck off. Oh, I have the whole story. This I got it for dick. you. All right. Let's go. I didn't watch a 22 minute forensic files. I went deep Mm -hmm. that's what she said leading up to the murders yeah thank you uh john psychiatrist and i'll elaborate more on him later just let me talk yeah john psychiatrist speculates that the murders led to a series or led from a series of disappointing events that uh, disappointing john disappointing to him right starting with his wife he married her three months after meeting her she was 25 at the time Mm-hmm. Um, he believes the psychiatrist believes that John felt forced into his marriage with Helen because she lied that she was pregnant. Wow! Well. Right. <laughs> John did try his, you know, tried to make the best of his marriage though. Uh-huh. Um, he also knows that John was unable to express his feelings. So we have another repressed well. male, yeah. a, repe- a repressed male raised to suck it up, if you will, and mm-hmm. bury his, uh, bury his feelings. Right, yeah. very strict Lutheran family. Yeah, That's who yeah. brought him up. Right. Remember, yeah. his mom lives with them. And she's a pretty domineering figure, if I remember. Right. Uh, in the beginning of the marriage and family, John was let go from several jobs due to his 
personality. So he just was weird, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because it wasn't right away. Right. But it also wasn't five years later. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, they moved a lot due to his constant job changes. Mm-hmm. But this all changed when John got a job in 1965. So seven years before the murders. Uh, with the First National Bank of New Jersey as their vice president. Wow. So he's making bank, right? That's a big position to have. Yeah. Immediately, the family bought this giant mansion. Oh, of course. All dead in. Mm-hmm. Even though John did not want to buy it. His wife forced him into it. Um, and to do this, to buy the home that his wife demanded, mm-hmm. he had to borrow money from his mom. And so he had to also invite her to live with him. Well, I mean, it's a fucking 19-room mansion. I don't know what she's doing his wife yeah you need all that i don't know i mean it'd be cool like to play an actual game of clue like on the office they have that murder mystery in a 19 room look i'm just saying that maybe we shouldn't put all of the weight onto i'm not putting it on her i'm just saying goddamn. yeah nobody needs that it's ridiculous you don't kill anybody over that it would be really fun to have like a clue themed party though yeah (laughs) That's that's so how you'd fun. coerce Isaac into it. Like a clue-themed orgy. I have the candlestick. Orgy? <laughs> Jesus. I have, I have the candlestick in the library. <laughs> Let's you play a game. Guess what I have in me? <laughs> the candlestick? The revolver? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Uh, John, his wife, were often at odds, uh, plus his overbearing mother living with them. Mm-hmm. All played a role into what led up to this. Right. After one year of living in this house with his mom and all this nonsense, John ends up getting fired from his vice president position with First National Bank. And uh, so he sees their perception of his as successful dwindling in his mind because he actually goes, gets a suit on every morning, goes in his car, takes the train to nowhere. Fucking guys. We talked about this with the Dexter copycat killer. Right. These fucking dudes. Mm. What are we going to do? I feel like this is gay agenda-y here, but go ahead. What are we going to do about these dudes? Just uh, the audacity of getting up and putting a fucking suit on and pretending you're going to work every day blows my mind. My brother did that. Oh my God. It makes me crazy. Yeah. My brother did that. That is, I don't know what that's called. It's part of some horrible personality trait. Yeah. (laughs) Some piece of shit. That's what's called POS disorder. Right. Um, and so he's obviously trying to hide these failures from his family. He did get some odd jobs here and there, but shit over five years, it, it you know, going he does from this for job, five years, for five years, he does this. They think right? he's working at the bank. Yeah. 1965, 1966. He loses it. 71 is around the time the murders happen. So we're but getting this- closer, but yeah, over five years, he goes from job to job because they had a lot of credit. They had a lot of cash. But the family is under the assumption that he's going to work at the bank every day. Right. And still making uh, money to support them every day. Oh. Right. How do you keep that up? For I have no idea. In the, yeah. in the 60s or 70s, it must have been easier, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's not like you can look at someone's Snapchat location back then. So Right. So over five years, though, they get seriously into debt. Right. You know what I mean? And... Uh, uh, so over... Five years, they slowly go into debt, and bankruptcy becomes, like, John's only option. Mm-hmm. And welfare, because he's got a big family to take care of. 
And uh, he does admit that his first thought was about suicide. So his first thought was for suicide. <clears throat> but being the devout Lutheran that he is, he believed that if he committed suicide, he'd go straight to hell. So he refused to do that. <sighs> so to John and his religion, living in poverty is also a sin. So John what? decides in his head. Yeah, okay. So John decides in his head his best option was to kill his family and to send them to heaven because they would go to heaven. Mm. Even though he's, you know, mm -hmm. you know he's, yeah. he's yeah. they'd go to heaven so they wouldn't be damned to hell due to his inability to support them and keep them out of poverty. Um the psychiatrist thinks that he developed obsessive compulsive behavior um because he suppresses his problems and instead of works them out turns them into cold he, he turn john turns himself into a cold calculated asshole this is all like detachment stuff now yeah yeah and that whole that whole thing yeah. okay yeah. so um so he'll obsess over things until he can resolve them on november 9th 1971 john prepared to murder his entire family on the day he knew he would kill them so the day comes you know, he's going to, he's know he's going to do it. He goes downstairs and joins his kids for breakfast, acts totally normal as usual. After the children go to school, he went to the garage to get the guns ready. He didn't have a lot of guns. He had two guns. He had a handgun that belonged to his father and a revolver that he kept from his time serving in World War II. Okay. Um, while the children are still at school, when his wife Helen comes down for her morning coffee in the kitchen, he shares a few words with her acts like he's leaving the room comes back in the room like sneak like sneaks in the room behind mm -hmm. her so she's not expecting it yeah shoots her in the back of the head mm. she's dead in the kitchen yep um then he went to his mother's third floor apartment walks in and his mom's just starting to eat breakfast he said they shared a kiss she asked about the gunshot noise she was hard of hearing so she didn't know what she heard yeah john plays it off she turns away from john and he shoots her in the back of the head He's a lovely guy, isn't he? Yeah. It he just gets worse from here. So. I know. He goes back downstairs, cleans up the murder of his wife, mm -hmm. and he, he comments on it like there's a lot more, like very cold and yeah. nonchalantly comments, like there's a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. uh, she had false teeth that like flew out individually from the gunshot wound. He had to clean up all of it because he didn't want his kids to see it when they came home from school. Right. So he cleans all of this up and he takes her to the ballroom because it's the it's the most seldom used room in the entire mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Which is ironic because it has a beautiful skyline in it. Mm -hmm. So um, he leaves the mother-in-law, or his mother, excuse me, up in the third story apartment. Okay. He goes to his office, writes the letters to the school about the family needing to leave on a long trip to take care of some sick person he made up. Uh -huh. Then he leaves the home, goes to the bank, withdraws $2,000 that he shared with his mother. And in the 70s, like literally the early 70s yeah. it's a decent amount yeah it'll get him somewhere yeah so he can get a job uh, and that's the account he shared with his mom uh then he goes to the post office where he drops off the letters to the school okay. mails it out to the school and he stops any mail from coming to the home says we're going to be away for because mm, if all that mail piled up people would right. notice quicker right then he comes back home Makes a goddamn sandwich for lunch. <sighs> this fucking guy. I know. Waits for the children to come home from school. Now, these kids don't all come home together. Right. First one home was the daughter, Patricia. She's the oldest. She came into the kitchen. 
John snuck up on Patricia, shoots her in the back of the head, takes her to the ballroom where the mother is. Then the youngest comes home, Frederick. He's 13. Same thing with him. Sneaks up on him, shoots him in the back of the head, takes him to the ballroom. Instead of waiting for his middle child, he went and actually watched him play his soccer game. Watch the kid play the soccer game. This is John. I hate him. Drives John home to the home. Drives him home. Yeah. J- John gets home. I think he, the, the, the youngest is in the kitchen or something like that. Um, but basically, as soon as the kid turns away, John shoots him. In, his dad shoots him in the back of the head. But, but, but John, John Sr. says um, that the kid either didn't die or had some kind of compulsive reaction. Like mm-hmm. started compulsing in a way. And that's why he shot him several more times just unloaded the rest of it into him 10 10 total shot him 10 times in the head back of the head my god takes this kid to the ballroom once they're all in the ballroom excluding the mother who just stays in her apartment i think he said she was too heavy he i didn't get any elaboration on that yeah i think from what i read about it he did try he was gonna try to move her but because she was on the third floor Mm -hmm. she was a little bit heavier he didn't he's a big fucking pussy he couldn't carry her down. So right. Like, right. Okay. Um, so he has them all in the ballroom now. Now they're all dead. Yeah. And they talk to John. Not today or anything. You know, I'll, I'll yes. get into how they yeah. talk to him. But they yeah. talk to him and he describes in that moment his feelings. The psychiatrist asks him, how did you feel? Mm-hmm. And his words are relief and relaxed. Yeah. That is done. He sat, uh, he sat down in the kitchen after all this and had another meal, dinner. Mm-hmm. After dinner, he cleans up the kitchen and goes upstairs and goes to bed and sleeps. This fucking guy. I know. Now we're on the, to the next day, the next morning. John wakes up, decides to turn the AC down to 50 degrees to slow decomposition. Uh, decom- decomposition. Deco- decomposition yeah. on the bodies. Um, he then turns on all the lights in the house and turned on his favorite classical music station. He says his idea there was an intruder wouldn't come into the home if they thought and discover so, yeah. everything because the lights are on and music's playing, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, this also is- gives him some more time if, right? You know, people in the neighborhood kind of think things are going as usual. Right. He knows it's not that- piling up. School sure. isn't expecting the kids. You know. Right. He knows they're going to be found eventually. Yeah. Because he writes a five-page letter to his pastor and explaining himself, he says, you know, my pastor deserves an explanation because <laughs> we were a member of his church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. A month later, they, uh, they find the letter. Remember, this is when the cops know this light's going out, mm-hmm. right? And they come and discover the bodies and all that. Yeah. Um, at this time, this is about five weeks later, John's 2,000 miles away, unbeknownst to the cops. Yep. In Denver, Colorado, living in a motel. John says he was there because he wanted to see the mountains and relax because he was recently under a lot of strain. Yeah, no shit. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Christ. John changes his name to Robert P. Clark and gets a job as a cook at another hotel. He will resume this identity for just under 20 years. He will be Robert P. Clark. He even went... 20 fucking years. Just under 20 years, yeah. And during this time... He goes, and they know it's him. They have a confession. They just can't find the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they look for him. Yeah, they just can't yeah. find him. He uh, even ventures back into his old career as an accountant. 
And he meets a woman named Dolores. Meets her at a church func- function and marries her. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so John's living his cush new life. Oh, yeah, because doesn't he get kind of big into church, too? He's always been in a church. Yeah, but like he finds this new church. He gets real involved in it. Well, he always was. He met her at a church function. He just, he murdered his whole family and then still continues to try and like. Right, because he thinks he can get forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, enjoying his family in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he's enjoying his cush new life. And who do you think is going to come and ruin all this for him? Well, I mean, a whole bunch of people do. But the most famous of them is John Walsh god damn yeah john walsh john walsh lost his boy they it's an unsolved crime oh and he started america's most wanted and john walsh was a sheriff yeah and 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 lost his kid so he started america's most wanted this is this is now 20 years after the fact so this is the early 90s yeah and he didn't just lose his kid his kid was horrifically murdered that's right he yes his kid was murdered yeah i mean like he lost him isn't where he is no, but that's why there's so much, like, I think that's why he's so vigilant on especially child murders. Yeah, so he hates this guy. Yeah. So it's the early 90s. America's Most Wanted is hella popular. It is fucking lit. It is lit. As the kids say now. <laughs> yes. It is fucking lit. Um, and they, uh, the local police were hunting for this guy because it was on the local every year on the anniversary they were talking about it in new jersey all the time they're talking because it was so crazy they knew who did it and they're just like where the fuck is john list fucking confession and he just disappears right where's john list nobody knows yeah um so they uh they do get the fbi to join the hunt for john list and the fbi does does make him one of their most wanted yes now so now they're reaching out to America's Most Wanted producers to get them to cover it. And at first they turn it down, the producers. Mm. And the producers claim they turn it down because they just thought 20 years, this guy could literally be anywhere. It's too much of a long shot. Yeah. Um, but they kept trying for nine months, trying to get the producers to do it. And finally they thought, okay, we'll do it. They agreed to do it. Yeah. Uh, in 1989, they agreed to do it. Hey. America's Most Wanted. My birth year. Yes. Um, by this time, uh, before it airs, but by the time they accept to do it, America's Most Wanted, mm-hmm. John and his new wife, Dolores, have moved from Colorado to w- West Virginia. Oklahoma. They have a nice little Oklahoma. life together. Oklahoma. Guess what one of their favorite pastimes is, Sarah? John List, mm-hmm. now Robert P. Clark and his wife, Dolores. Playing classical music? I thought you were going to say that. That's not it. Oh, uh one of their favorite pastimes really boring vanilla sex <laughs> no <laughs> what could it be one of their favorite pastimes oh is it watching america's most wanted ding 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 that's what it is it's watching america's most wanted he loves it so much that he actually encouraged everyone he would run into to watch it people at church co-workers their friends listen I don't know. Harry That's what Potter he did. and the audacity of this bitch. <laughs> and the audacity of this bitch. You telling everybody to watch. You won't see me on there. Right. God. So yeah, they love it. Um, uh, America's Most Wanted decides, you know, it's been 20 years, whatever. They got to hire a, an artist to sculpt the oh, head of, so a, good. of how John List looks now. Now in 1990 or 89 or whatever, they didn't have the technology they have now to do it. The computer rendition. You they literally had to do art. A plop of clay and fucking carve it. 
you know what I mean? And to what he looks oh my like. God. I would, do you have the name of the guy who did it? No. Oh, it's he. I'm sure I'll let you keep going. This part gets me really excited. It's just this clay bust that he makes of him. Yeah. Is we'll post it on our Instagram. It is fucking incredible. And, and you can, um, watch uh like different shows and docus and stuff where they interview this guy and he talks about how he took pictures of the guy um as a kid as any pictures he could find of john list and he looked at pictures of john list's parents and john list's children and and his siblings and and really studied how he thought this man because we're talking over 20 years you change a lot in 20 fucking years Mm -hmm. and he and you're on the run yeah he really studied what he thought this guy would would look like and based on medical history presumed that John List would uh be wearing prescription lenses and he fucking Correct. picks he nails, it. he nails it down to the fucking glasses the frames the frames yeah this, it is i this is such a good one yeah it is a good one they get him. Even John said, Don List, the murderer, watching it, watching himself, by the way, he catches <laughs> like, the end of it. Fuck. Well, they get, so hold on. They get a bunch of calls. Mm-hmm. Their hottest call or tip from America's Most Wanted airing of this episode comes from Colorado. And it turns out to be a previous neighbor of John, yep. Loris, who thinks her husband is Robert P. Clark. Mm-hmm. She says, I know this guy, John List, is Bob Clark, and he recently moves, uh, moved to West Virginia with his wife, Dolores. Um, so John says about this episode, he caught the end of it and he caught the end of it. Guess at the end is when they show this, this clay head of him. And John says, I can't believe how accurate they were. I can't, I didn't know they had technology like that. You know what I mean? It's not technology. It's literally fucking art. This guy is just a genius. Incredible. Yeah. Recreation and age progression. It was, I mean, down to like certain moles and how, how his, um, neck would end up you know, as he got older, kind of the sagging neck and, and where his ears would kind of fall and what kind of hairstyle he would wear. And I mean, right. it, it was just brilliant. Really. It was. It worked. Um, the feds end up showing up at his door in West Virginia, but he's at work. Dolores answers the door. She's in total denial about the, the whole thing. So her thinking she's helping, uh, helping to prove them wrong, the feds, she leads them right to John at his job. Uh, when they find John under the identity of Robert or Bob, as you went by, Bob P. Clark, he denies being John List and he volunteers his fingerprints. Uh, Again, the audacity. <laughs> yeah. The they're, balls on this motherfucker. I know. They're immediately come back as 100% match. Yeah. That same day, he's placed under arrest. Even during this time, he refuses to admit he's John List. Uh, right. It's not till his first real court appearance that he admits that he's Johnless, and the evidence over 20 years was surprisingly well kept because like i said this local police were pissed about it yeah so they this kept it pretty like well can have you and they just can't find mm-hmm. you yeah. yeah right so so first on june 29th 1989 they have to extradite john from west virginia to new jersey to face west his murder virginia. charges Mama. yeah one of the first interviewers to interview him was that psychiatrist i was telling you about mm-hmm um march like march 1990 (laughs) 
March something in 1990 is when the interview takes place with him and the psychiatrist for four hours. They wanted a psychiatrist to talk to him because they just want to know, can we fucking send this guy to prison? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or is he going to get off on some bullshit? Right. Um, and um, through this interview, the psychiatrist said John really only had one, uh, only had not one, but he had many regrets, but they were all superficial regrets. Yeah. So something along the lines of John saying, you know, something had to happen and it was unfortunate that it did. That's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he says no major illnesses and no major psychiatric issues to mitigate his crimes, to mitigate his crimes, meaning he was mentally competent to stand trial. And he had intentions to do this. And he he didn't have any psychiatric disorders, even though the psychiatrist says he's got obsessive compulsive disorder, personality disorders. He doesn't have anything that would stop him from intentionally killing his family and having a thought where he goes, I shouldn't do this and and has an option out. Right, right. He didn't have like a psychotic break or he was in touch with reality. Sure. He knew it was wrong. His defense, on the other hand, tried to blame the crime on his personality disorder, saying he... um, wasn't willfully able to not commit the crimes if that makes any sense mm, it doesn't the obsessive compulsive disorder things like that um yeah he could not have de- uh, deliberately committed the crimes because com- uh, he had ocd he had to do it uh <laughs> anyways the prosecution puts the psychiatrist on the stand uh he says no this isn't a good de- uh, defense there's no autopilot basically going on that's what the defense is trying to say yeah. it wasn't happening yes he has personality disorders but he could have made another choice very easily and their biggest piece of evidence for this was the dumb letter he wrote to his pastor so explaining all of it um he believed what he was doing was right but more importantly that five page letter to the pastor shows full intentions yes you know what i mean yeah okay i guess i like the psychiatrist again oh okay (laughs) the jury deliberated for nine hours guilty on all five counts of first degree murder um and later he was sentenced to five consecutive life terms. There's some bullshit in, that when the crimes were committed, the death penalty was not in effect in yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. So, and so even can. though the death penalty was in effect at the time of the trial, it doesn't matter. That's fine. So, Let him rot. Yeah. The, the most he could get was, was life. And yep. he got it. Life without parole. Five times. John does claim that he's sorry and he, and he, he feels that his mental state at the time um, makes him unaccountable for the crimes. So he's sorry, but he's not accountable, which is like the worst thing you could be. Right. In May of 1990, John goes to prison. Uh, And John, John says that he got his parole time while he was on the run. So he, he thinks that, yeah, like it. So he's he's like, okay, I guess. I'm in, I'm in here for life without parole. The only thing I could go for is parole at this point. Right. But I got my parole. What an ass too, because that is that does piss me off that he got another almost twenty years. Oh yeah, he got a whole have a nice life. Exactly. Uh, John thinks prison's okay. He likes it. He thinks it's safer. <laughs> than, he's safer. He thinks it's safer than the world that there is today. And at the time, that was the nineties and such. Yeah. Yeah, and he does believe he's going to go to heaven and rejoin his family. And he doesn't oh, think that there's going to be any hard feelings between him and his family. And oh, yeah. <laughs> they're probably over it by now. Yeah. <laughs> He did appeal his case twice. So he did try to appeal his case on two different occasions. And on two different occasions, the judge quite, almost quite literally told him to go fuck himself. Good. Yes. Um, so the irony in all of this. Oh, and it's so good. So we know John did this because they were going to be bankrupt mm-hmm. in debt. And um, this was in this, the very early 70s. Yeah. 
So when we say he had $2,000 in his account, that's still quite a bit of money. Right. Right. He probably was bringing in 30, 40, maybe on a very high end, $50,000 a year, which was a substantial salary. He could have sustained his life with his mom's money in that 19 room mansion. Yeah. But like we said, he lost his job, couldn't keep a job. He couldn't right. make that kind of money regularly. Right. So he did all of this because of that poverty bullshit. Mm-hmm. And even though John is a piece of shit, and even though John made up, and I'm not going to ever, I'm not going to say but, I'm not going to say but on John. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting to is, He's pretty clear and articulate about what led to this, why he did this. Yeah. And it, it was strictly because of that. There is no indication that he's lying about that. There's no indication that he, he wanted to get away from it all. You know what I mean? Even though his wife was uh, driving him insane or whatever they had. The whole point is that pressure he had to be the husband and father and son and provider, yeah. he couldn't do. He was failing at it. And yeah. that ultimately is what led to this. So. Yeah. The reason I talked about that fire, because it had nothing to do with it. It happened a year later. Who cares, right? right? Nothing to do with it. Yeah. Because of this fire, and because the home was so famous, somebody noted something in the fire. Mm-hmm. And what they noted was a stained glass, like skyline, in the ballroom where he put his family. Because he yeah. said, quote unquote, it's the most seldom used. The room they cared less about. They couldn't yep. care less about it, right? Yep. There was a stained glass like skyline in there that was designed and signed. It was autographed by Louis Comfort Tiffany. You would know him as the King Tiffany and Co. Tiffany yeah. and Co. Yep. And it was worth at the time that he committed the murders well over a hundred thousand dollars. That is the equivalent to well over seven hundred thousand dollars. So what we know is seven hundred thousand dollars today. Yeah. John had in his ballroom that he this. sold and settled all his debt oh. and rich. I wish they would have. F- He's dead now. <laughs> but I wish that they would have. Um, I wish they would have asked him videotaped him hearing that yeah like talking to him about that and seeing what he had to say but he's so cold and distant he'd just be like oh well didn't know at the time so you know hey you dumb motherfucker but what a painful the mist like ending it's it is literally like like a movie like the one thing that could have saved you the whole time is where you place your murdered family under literally it's right there the whole time yeah. He would have been damn near the equivalent to a millionaire here. So. God. That's yeah. such a good one. Isn't that a pain in I the mean, ass? I mean, it's not like, it sounds so morbid. <laughs> like, oh, punch in the gut. Yeah. Makes you uncomfortable. He died in March of 2008. I'm pretty sure it was now. God damn, father. he lived that fucking long? Yeah, he's an old bastard. Oh, my God. He did a few interviews from prison he's still cold and distant and yeah i watched his interview and he was describing how he murdered them how he snuck up on them yeah how it was important that he shoot them in the back of the head so number one they didn't expect it and number two they would die instantly and not have any suffering and i'm gonna try and quote him here okay reenact how he says this he says how compassionate right (laughs) and he laughs well such a weird thing he's just a weird dude definitely got a personality he probably had asperger's if i'm being honest not to 
put down anyone with that, but I'm saying he has like a personality disorder. He doesn't know what's inappropriate or in it or what isn't appropriate and what isn't, I guess. Well, that's also common um, for sociopaths. Sure. It could be a sociopath or a disassociative personality disorder or whatever that is. Yeah. Well, because sociopaths don't feel things like empathy, remorse, sadness. So they can like kind of mimic what other people are feeling, but on a one-on-one interview where they don't have anything to mimic, it can be, you can get some of those weird, really out of place comments like how compassionate, right? And kind of awkward laughing because they're not realizing just how fucking inappropriate that comment is. I know. Can you believe he had a Tiffany original autographed made by Yeah. 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 The whole time. Could have got him out of everything. They could have paid off all their debt. He could have probably gotten away with a divorce. Oh, yeah. And his wife picked that house with that in it. And nobody knew. Nope. And then whoever burned it down didn't even steal it. Like, literally nobody. It makes me wonder, like, you're so desperate to get out of that that you'll literally do this crazy murder of your whole family and your mom but you're not so like in a corner backed into a financial corner that you won't just fucking like look for a way out. That's just right above your dumb head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm saying is like, so I understand the pressure and feeling pushed into a corner and feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to crawl out of this. Like, how do I get out of this? But to me, it almost seems like he went kind of immediately to I'll just murder my whole family and start over as a single person. He didn't really seem to exhaust any other options <laughs> like maybe moving or trying to sell the house or admitting he lost. Like he didn't do anything else. It was just like Well, I know he didn't have a support system but I mean, I guess he could have Or just fucking dip out true just fucking leave your family yeah, go be go be go be robert p clark without yeah. killing everybody yeah. just leave just be like fuck i'm yeah I'm take done. the 2000 and yeah. run like you and did just go no one would have looked for him either right they would have been like well fuck this guy he sucks yeah loser now we're gonna sell this house oh look we have this tiffany light bump up the price yeah <laughs> well i guess it has to come back to like how someone's raised to like see things because he you know, he probably saw being a deserter as something he couldn't come back from. Whereas if he murders his family and in his own mind, he's doing the right thing for him, sending them straight to heaven. Maybe yeah. I can get some forgiveness later. In his own warped perception of reality that he was raised on right. and that he perpetuated, it actually seemed like a better way to go. Or it's just... Which it isn't. No, it's not. I don't know. I, I feel like it's a lot of just we see this a lot in family annihilators uh, basically every time of the person who's done it which is usually the white father or son or son wants to just start over yeah they're done being whatever it is they feel they have been forced or coerced into being for too long right i mean that was the shenan watts case that was just all over the news this guy had a new girlfriend wanted to move on he's got a wife and two kids she's pregnant again this isn't what he wants 
And instead of going through the process of the very hard process of divorce and, you know, separation and custody and things like that, it's just murder. Just that'll solve it. We'll figure that out. And when I, when I found out you were doing the John List case, I was going to do the Watts case. But it's just so current, like so new. Let's do that one together. I did, Well, I just felt like people probably aren't ready to. I'm ready. Yeah. Wasn't that here in Arizona? Yeah. Let's do it. Can we do one together? It's a really tough one. It really is. Can I do like, I don't know what parts I want to do. But there's also some great like footage and stuff in it. Right. And it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I've watched all of that stuff. Body cam footage. Yep. Yeah. There's some really um, good interrogation we'll to, videos and stuff. We'll have to, we'll have to figure out, that out for all of you guys listening, like how to do that just audio. I mean, we'll post it for you to watch later, but I mean. Maybe yeah, that would be story. one to do. Um live recorded not live but like maybe when you come visit or something we could record it i'll have to brush my hair no we could do it like this no but we could like do a like an actual video of us and release that i'll go live on facebook yeah yeah Mm. okay i don't know we'll see we'll see we're we're brainstorming we listen we have a lot going on (laughs) we do sarah has a lot i'm moving she's moving yeah we're both moving we both got you know new places i've been dealing with we're moving to a completely different town i've been dealing with getting all this if if you've ever bought a house you know how just ridiculous the process is and there's actually more going on too so they're lucky they're getting anything yeah you know so it's like i was just thinking today because we're recording right now on a saturday which we usually record on thursdays but we had too much shit going on during the week so i'm recording this on saturday i realized about two hours ago that i never put up my instagram post with the reference photos from monday's episode we're not trying to slack oops hopefully in the next month or two once we you know Remember Reno 911? They're the the girl in the drive-thru just telling them how a guy flashed her and -hmm. then took the food and then penis Mm -hmm. food, right? Remember that? Yeah. And it's Weigel and and, uh, Clementine. Yeah. And they're like, well, are are you guys going to, are you guys going to get them? Like you guys are going to catch them, right? You're going to get them, right? And then Clementine's, well, what we'll tell you is, and then Trudy's (laughs) like, we'll we'll tell you that we'll try our best. Yeah. (laughs) Say that. And then Clementine goes, we'll try our best. <laughs> so what we'll tell you is we'll try our best. Right. <laughs> and we are. And we do love doing this podcast. It is like, like I said, we've been so busy that we really haven't even been able to like, we don't talk as much as we used to. Um, so it is nice to have once a week where we can kind of sit face to face, talk, you know, even though we're doing this and it's usually about horrible, sad things. Um, we still get to <laughs> always about. Yeah. Um, These horrible, sad things are an escape for Sarah and I from our horrible, sad life things. Right. (laughs) So we do love doing this. And uh, we're, you know, and we have been putting out content and all of that. But I'm sorry when I forget to do the Instagram post. That's on me. Um, So I'll catch up on it and I'll make sure the reference photos for this with that awesome uh, bust sculpt that they made and, and the chandelier and all that. We'll put all that up on there. 
Um, you can find us at all the things you can find us at. Thanks. That you already know about. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. I'm going to go get me a cold pop. Bye. Bye.